I've been reading uh, for pleasure recently. Oh, before bed, I've been reading uh, Count Zero. It's a sequel to William Gibson's Neuromancer, and that motherfucker oh. writes with such dense imagery in his prose, and like. I don't know, complicated little structures in it, like crystals, like a little bismuth crystal that you have to sort of get down into. That I always have to read something like once or twice and really chew on it, like it's a thick gummy. Yeah, I like it. Cool. So See, I mean, that, that was my problem when trying to read Portrait of Dorian Gray, mm -hmm. but not because it was like dense, but because it was like needlessly over described. Verbose. Like, yeah, thank you. Needlessly verbose. Because like, I. I remember stopping reading because it was just like, okay, I am I am 20 pages in. He has not left his goddamn bed because we just spent five pages talking about the scent of the gardens wafting in as the curtains gently blew in the breeze. And somehow that managed to take multiple pages to describe. Man. Like, feel... all sympathy for the man who spent, you know, years in a labor camp because he was gay. But like, that doesn't mean I have to like your writing. <laughs> I saw a great tweet that was like, uh, man, getting old and dying is nowhere near as scary as whatever the fuck these guys are trying to do to avoid it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. And somebody then was just like, wow, Oscar Wilde spent like 600 pages trying to explain that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. The last book that was, wasn't needlessly verbose, but, you know, that gave me words that were like a gummy to chew on. Um, Barbara Kingsolver's Poisonwood Bible. Mm. Like the whole environment of the Belgian occupied Congo, Congo is a character in and of itself. There, it's oh Christ fantastic. Almighty, the Belgian Congo. Oh God, yeah, I don't even want to think it's about, about that shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not the old, not the Leopold Congo. The um the American backed coups um in to, during the period of revolution. Um, I don't know if you ever read the Poisonwood Bible. It's about a missionary family that goes to a tiny village in the middle of the Congo rainforest to spread the gospel and they get caught up in well in both their their father's missionary work um and his you know the absolute racist imperialist mindset he's brought with him failing on the locals who are like fuck you <laughs> um <Not bad>. yep <laughs> and and you know them slowly realizing that wait this whole political situation isn't some you know remote thing like this this is affecting real people that we live with and share food with so it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It, it covers many, many, many years um, from the time there are children who travel with their father all the way to like when they're adults. Some of them have left. Some of them have stayed. I think one has at least returned. So, yeah, it's a time. Boy, it sure is. This is the uh, oh, we got a clock. Wait, we, oh, oh, all right. It's the all right. It's the Honor Book Fair podcast. I'm Jay, and I'm here with Miles and Dan once again to talk about the next section of Brian Jake's uh, follow-up chronologically to Redwall, Redwall Matameo. And this was a short bit. I didn't even finish it, though, because I... Uh, and I'm also... I had a very difficult time getting up today for the same reason. It's because that wild turkey was actually uh, 101 proof. <laughs> yeah, I, I did finish it. I mm -hmm. finished it at, like, 11 o'clock last night, and oh, nice. then had to be up at, like, 7.30 today, uh, because we're doing a different recording thing, oh. but it's... Morning recording, uh, yay. yay! Best yay. time for a podcast. <laughs> I, I mean, truthfully, it's better than us falling asleep during the recording. <laughs> it is. It really is. Um, I was fortunate enough to read this, to have a period reading this section where I was, like, lying in bed with the book and, like, shaving off little pieces of horseradish cheddar and putting on crackers and that were, like, Ooh. just resting on my belly. Huh. 
You were living the Redwall seltzer with me, and I'm just like, this is Redwall shit. <laughs> you were living Thanks. the real Redwall shit. <laughs> yeah, I finished it about ten minutes before we started, so. but it was very short. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was extremely short, um, and realistically, kind of dense. Like, yeah, it there there was a lot of changing of power here. Mm-hmm. So where we last left off, factors uh, and factions that got introduced. Yeah, uh, where where we last left off, Matameo, the son of Matthias the warrior, has been you know kidnapped and enslaved along with several other woodland creatures by Slagar the cruel, who is in fact the mutilated half corpse of uh, of Chicken Hound from Mm -hmm. Redwall, and he's taking them to this weird ass limestone cavern where a pole cat named. Malcaris? Uh, yeah, Malcaris lives. Mm-hmm. And Matthias and friends are following, including uh, their new friend Orlando, the axe, whose daughter was taken by Sligar. And, and a hedgehog whose name I do not remember. Jabez. Jabez. Jabez, yes. Yes. Whose Oops. son Jube, Jube or Jubilation uh, was also taken by Slagar. Mm-hmm. They think were trapped. Short for it. Do you think it's oh, short it's for a, like Jabazation? It's a Bible. It's a biblical name. <laughs> oh. yep. What happened to Jabez in the Bible? Do you know? Uh, I forget. Let's find out. <laughs> yeah, why not? There's a there's a small there's a prayer name. named for him. I know that much. He's a uh, oh he's he Welcome. appears in the books in the Book of Chronicles. He's implied to be the ancestor of the kings of Judah. Um, his mother name his birth is difficult, and his mother names him Yavetz, meaning he ta- he makes sorrowful. Um, yeah, his main his main role in the Bible is conquering new territory at the command of Adonai. So, so we, cool. Well, so thank you for joining us for for our newest segment, Bible Facts. <laughs> I'm full of his those. name. His name means <laughs> sorrowful. Is that uh, is that death coding for his kid jubilation that he's gonna be a sad dad? <laughs> Shit, I don't kid? know. I don't remember. I, I hope not. God, how much must that fucking suck, though, to be born and your name, and you are named just after the fact that you were a particularly difficult labor. Yep. Like, your entire existence and way of being referred to for the rest of your life is a reminder that your mom was fucking mad at you when you were born. <laughs> like, what an inconvenience. You- it's like being, it's like being named piece of shit it's like being named it's like being named inconvenience (laughs) yes it's like because i've been watching a lot of it lately it's like being bojack horse (laughs) actually now that i think about it i like the name nuisance nuisance so there's future child ideas what the word means what the word means like nuisance is it has like a nice you know Mm. mouthfeel to it you know to be fair i i will push back against it being like bojack horseman largely because bojack horseman's problems are 99% caused by himself. This is true. Being born with the name Misery Causer <laughs> is not, not that. <laughs> no. They could have been perfectly nice to, to Jabez, and he still had to go through life like, you You called me sorrowful. Why? I wonder where these, these woodland creatures get their Bible names. They have a church. They do have a church. And, and an you know... But they don't seem to Maybe they get them anyone. from Portugal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never they going to let go of the fact that Portugal just straight up exists in this world. <laughs> yes. 
And there are references in also, this passage. They make to, reference to pigs. To pigs and horses at one point. Uh, Sister yeah. May says she has enough herbs and ingredients to knock out a horse. Like, how do you. Maybe, maybe it's that same one? horse that Clooney rode in on a couple seasons back. <laughs> she took care of him. sister may actually reveals a whole like she we'll get to it but like she was born in the wrong role sister may yeah Yeah. sister may is a fucking hard ass just comes out of nowhere this new character (laughs) yep um how does this book start we like start getting introduced to like iron beak and shit right right yeah this section is general iron beak uh and it it centers a lot around this group of crows and ravens and magpies and rooks uh, that have come in and taken on Redwall. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, they wait until the sparrows have left because their seer, uh, their Man. seer is pretending to be a seer. He is, uh, at least that's the vibe I got. He's mm-hmm. he's saying like, oh yeah, they're they're doing all of this. Meanwhile, we know that a crow was watching the meeting mm-hmm. at the end of the last section. So my assumption this whole time has just been like. Yeah, no, he's rarely wrong because he just does espionage. It's not... It, why is he not just a spy? Right. Well, I, it, he, it's not just the sparrows or Iron Beak. It seems like all of the birds are pretty low intelligence in this series. So that, like, just being someone that's kind of... Being a bird that's kind of perceptive and uh, follows a little bit of cause and effect, like, can easily make you a mystical soothsayer to these birds. <laughs> They're pretty gullible. I mean, they definitely are depicted as low intelligence in this section, uh, mm-hmm. especially when they are taking on the role of Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern in Home Alone. <laughs> yep. I do want to point yeah. out that all most of the birds we encounter for some reason or another, especially like carnivorous ones, have military ranks. In the, in the first book, we had Captain Snow. Here we have General Ironbeak, and we meet Sir Harry the Muse at, later on. Sir Harry the Muse, by the way, might be my new favorite character. <laughs> yeah, that guy He's was a trip. Pretty great. We'll get to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the uh, the crows and ravens come in under the leadership of General Ironbeak. And they're just like, yeah, no, we'll wait for the sparrows to all leave. And then we'll come in. Maybe there will be some elderly or some uh, or some children. We'll just kill them. And then we'll take up residence in Redwall. And then we'll kill all the uh, all the ground dwellers that are on that are in there. And it'll be ours. And, you know, I can't fault their logic. Now is the perfect time to strike. Uh, Much like what I was talking about with Dan earlier in 1916, when all of the British forces were were fighting in World War I, and the IRA decided to uh, stage a coup. (laughs) Yep. And just the... The calculatedness of this kind of says to me that these these crows and ravens have done this before. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know we're skipping around slightly to reference it, but... Something that really stuck out to me. One, they mentioned thermals, which I'm always a sucker for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, caught that thermal pop off. Yeah. Uh, especially since I think this book was written at a time when Animorphs had started to be put out. So, Jake's knew what he was doing. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> all these kids are going to be all, like, really hyped up for thermals right now. I got to pop a reference in there. Uh, but they, the language that was used, it was just, like... They, uh, they came in and swiftly and silently dealing death to the few old sparrows and late nestlings who were unable to fly. And then that was it. Like, just a bloodbath. Just totally skipped over. Like, one of the most cruel things anyone has done in this book series is just like, oh, yeah, when the sparrows went off to deliver uh, messages, they left all of their elderly and uh, chicks and eggs behind. And Ironbeak and his crows just run in there and just slaughter absolutely all of them. 
Yeah, like it registers as that as that's what happened, but the way he sanitized the language was super effective so mm-hmm. that it didn't just like immediately gut punch you. Right. And like kids could read it without, you know, being traumatized at the idea of these humanized birds having their elderly and children murdered. Mm-hmm. But like, we were getting hella humanized to them in the first book, though. Like when the nice ones were like taking Matt Mayo in and like helping him overthrow uh, whatever the fucking general King Bolstara was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they like these are in the you know in Redwall terms people. Like they're the neighbors who live in the attic. Basically, and there's like this beautiful little passage right before it at the start of the chapter. After, after the events, but at the start of the chapter, that I, I loved, mm-hmm. um, it was, The avid dwellers ceased their daily tasks and went indoors for the evening meal. Mole cooks had baked a traditional tater and turnip and beetroot deeper in ever pie. There was fresh oh, fruit yeah. and cream, mint wafers and cider. A garland of yellow flowers graced the table center in honor of the season. None of them knew that murder had been done that day. That is the quintessential Redwall passage. Mm-hmm. That is that is Redwall to a fucking T. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is what you would quote if you wanted to explain to someone, what is this series about? Here. It's about a bunch of charming, adorable woodland critters having a little feast of quaint uh, cabbage pies and then murder. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, so uh, that is, they, they're no longer, I think, doing the puzzles at Redwall right now. Now they're no. like, they're in a hostage negotiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they are, they are in a two-way siege with these birds, essentially. Yes. The first um, creatures to invade the Abbey who actually try to cut off their food supply. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. No. But <laughs> but they try. It was a short-lived attempt, but an attempt nonetheless. It, realistically, from a tactical standpoint, mm-hmm. General Ironbeak's whole method here is fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. one of the few intelligent military commanders we've seen. Yup. But... We'll get into that. Instead, we're going to jump over to Matthias. Because Matthias, where last we left, was with the Guasim. Yes. And they're having a little bit of a conflict of leadership because uh, Scan, a new addition to the Guasim, has been kind of jockeying for Logalog's position. And they have, like, a little bit of conflict over it. Yeah. Yeah, some leftist infighting with the... uh, insubordinate isolationist because that's the perfect form of leftism isolationism yeah why uh, should why should we risk ourselves to stop slavery in our territories yeah um, uh, but logalog like basically just like he's ready yeah, to he, throw down like trial by combat like fucking oh, yeah. do it then you want to lead you gotta kill me first <laughs> yeah and scan scan goes he takes his followers with him and logalog's just like great cool we're done with those assholes uh (laughs) but as it turns out no they are not no because scan Scan just decides to follow the trail of slagar the cruel and goes and meets up with him uh right after slagar has finished ascending the cliffs with these rope ladders and then tossing one of his lieutenants down the cliff for allowing matameo and his friends to escape Badass, or well, hard ass, or cruel ass, or whatever. But I it was a well like done when, segment. Mm-hmm. It I, was especially especially because I knew, like, of course you know, like what the cruel evil leader, what his game is, and everything. But like when he like sidles up to that one guy and it's just like, so 
well, tell me about how you let the captives escape for a little bit of time. And he's got them up against the wall. And I'm like, you know, in this situation, when you've aligned yourself under your leader, Slagar the Cruel, like, uh, these guys, of course, they are really dumb and uh, they're brutal people. Uh, but, like, you know that... Uh, that's what I always don't get about being a mook to a guy like this. It's like, you, I'm sure you've seen him do this to other people. Like, you know it's going to be your time sooner or later yeah. the second you do something wrong. And so when he was, like, you know, getting in the guy's face on this cliff, I was like, there's nothing this guy can say to mm -hmm. not get murdered right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and his title is The Cruel. It's, it's especially interesting, too, because uh, Brian Jakes made specific mention of the other rats and stoats and weasels and everything determinedly not making eye contact and looking away because they already knew what was going to happen and they didn't want to watch him die. Mm -hmm. like, it's routine. And, and then, then, of course, Scan shows up and thinks, ah, I will ally myself with Slagar the Cruel, this yeah, person who brands himself... Idiot award of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he tries to ally himself with Slagar the Cruel by telling him, hey, uh, Matthias and all of those people, they are not only alive, but they've joined up with an entire goddamn army of shrews. And... <laughs> and Slagar... It was just like, cool, yeah. Well, we'll pull up the rope ladders behind us, so they'll have no way of getting there because none of them can fly. And congratulations, you are now part of my slave group. What the fuck did you think was going to happen, you idiot? <laughs> yep. You have a choice. Put on these manacles, or I toss you over the cliff too. Yep. Scan has the audacity to be to be offended at this. Call he him has a, the audacity call him a to call him a traitor. Yeah. To call him a traitor. <laughs> When, and, yep. and fucking Slagar even calls him out on it. He straight up says, you would betray your own kind. <laughs> you, were, you were prepared to sell your own kind out. <laughs> Let me tell you, Scan, when it comes to double dealing, there's no beast better at it than Slagar the Cruel. <laughs> it's like very quick karma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let that uh. teach you, all of the kids out there, about trying to sell out the Vanguard party. Who are you aligning yourself with? As a result, mm -hmm. yeah, Not and then it. Slagar leads his uh, leads his crew through a pine forest. Oh yeah, and then and there's a bunch someone, of someone someone gets hit in the eye with a with a <laughs> with a stick, and then yeah, the fucking Ewoks come. <laughs> yes, I thought they would be like fucking lemurs or something. Like yeah, what are these guys supposed? It's to really be? unclear. As we see later, they're like some kind of tree climbing mammal. Um, yeah, and they're called never the painted ones. The painted ones. I want to say this isn't the first, the last time they appear, but I think it is. I genuinely don't know what they are. They also talk about them having like large eyes. So mm -hmm. my brain, because the newest Pokemon game only came out a couple of months ago, my brain was immediately going to the Pokemon Grafii, which is a graffiti artist eye eye. That's phenomenal. which it it fits with it <laughs> i'll put a i'll put a picture of it up in chat it's a but weird like, looking little guy covered in different colors it resides yeah. in a painted forest and it's got these big old eyes like it it fits with it these things are graffiti eyes there's also a point where it talks about them uh oh, shit. yeah a small thin creature painted all over with green and black vegetable dyes fell senseless to the earth the trees were alive with hundreds of other creatures chattering and screaming swinging nooses and jatting downwards with sharp wooden lances this gave nooses. me i talked a little bit about how uh 
Matthias was giving me some Aragorn vibes in the last section. Mm-hmm. This gave me Moria or, or Moria Goblin vibes. Yes. They've even like got with all of the goblins from... of Moria rushing down the columns and surrounding mm-hmm. them. That's what this felt like. Yes. It was, the, I think, the first time that we've seen this party truly overwhelmed. And mm-hmm. it, like, it was legitimately scary. Was, like, yeah, imagine they, you're... they were up against it. Like, the minute mm-hmm. they ascended those cliffs, they, those cliffs, they were up, up against it, this section. Mm-hmm. Which is good. It's good to have this, like, party of powerful, competent people who are just outmatched at times. Yep. And have to think their way through. Plus, Jess Squirrel got to use the fucking Sword of Martin. Mm-hmm. Which explains something we were confused about when we were recording Redwall. Because we were looking up pictures of the Sword of Martin the Warrior. To try mm-hmm. and see if we could see the like words emblazoned on it. And we came up with a picture of Jess Squirrel holding the sword. And we are like, what the fuck is that? Was that invented for the show or something? No. The third part of the show was covering Matameo. Uh, because the show covers both Redwall, Mossflower, mm-hmm. and Matameo. Yes. Um, it also does, the show also does March on the Warrior as well. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, also, according to the Redwall wiki, um, the painted ones appear again, uh, both in the prequel Legend of Luke and in, well, in, a, in actually a bunch of them. So mm. they are apparently uh, tree, uh, tree-dwelling rats, um, some species of arboreal rodent. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, in later books, they can speak, and they have names. So they've been there for a good long while. Okay. I mean, I mean, I would assume so, given they were part of a prophecy written down at the founding yes. of Redwall. Well, yeah. But, but maybe Abbas Germain had prophet, like legit prophetic abilities, though. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yes, they've been they've been there since before Redwall existed. I don't know. Part of me just like. I do. I, want I do want a like clear idea of what they are. Me too. I, I mean, According... I guess they're 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 forest dwelling rats, but like, I guess that's just kind of boring to me. Yeah. Like, there's some... so many I mean, mice and ever... rats and stuff. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to be squirrels, just to have some like some good beast species who weren't like good. They're they're neutral. They're they keep to themselves and they just attack anyone who goes in. Yeah, I was thinking they were going to be squirrels. Mm-hmm. In the Redwall TV series, when they did Matameo, they make them look like Sifaka lemurs, um, which mm. is bizarre because there have never in the entire series been any primates at all. Um, but it's an interesting interpretation. Honestly, I'm going to keep my mental image of them as Grafaii. <laughs> yes, that's fair. <laughs> but so they- yeah, there's these, there's these fucking critters that are waylaying the crew and Slagar even runs from them, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, Chicken Hound was always a coward. Yes. This whole persona is, I get the feeling, just a thin veneer over his actual self. Mm-hmm. But they beat Cheeks out of there and get to a river that they can't cross without a uh, without a ferry from the rats. So they like spend a day waiting for that to happen. They meet a rat who blends in with the rocks, who's... I have forgotten already. Uh, Stoneflesh. 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 Yeah. Stoneflesh, yeah. I actually like him because he's not the the over-the-top kind of like villain or a goofy mook. Like He's just real by-the-book efficient. He's like, yep, we're here to shoot people. He's a regular old territorial warlord right now. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, he, he commands his troops in this location. They know what they're doing, and they presumably have some sort of agreement with Malkaris to allow uh, slave shipments to pass the river and no one else. Mm-hmm. And like, that all tracks. That's all good. I'm cool yeah. with that. 
I mean, it I'm does. not cool with it, but like, <laughs> it, it's a small scale villain. Yes, he doesn't once. even insult his his soldiers and mooks or threaten them. No. He's just like, yep, we're here to we're here to protect our place. It's your home too. Kill him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's something that is just always refreshing to like see a villainous guy do is like actually lead his fucking crew and not just brutalize them at any opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get the feeling Slagar does it because he saw Clooney do it. And he has no actual, like, leadership ability aside from ter- terrifying people. Mm-hmm. I think he also is more of a coward than Clooney is. So he sees it as like, oh, yeah, no, you make them afraid of you and you, like, periodically pick them off so they don't ever get too confident or too numerous and can just overthrow you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas Clooney mostly did it because he was evil. Just it for just it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Matthias's crew is following them uh, very closely. Yes. They and make they, it to the Cliffs of Insanity over here. They do. And they meet How my are gonna new favorite character. If only there was some wacky character that could help them get up his cliff face. If only there were an owl who only spoke in poetry, except where business is concerned. Yes. Where business is concerned, he speaks plain. <laughs> yep, Sir Harry oh. the Muse. I like that. He's he's speaking in all this poetry. We can read some of it here, but like then as soon as Basil like tries to do some poetry talk back to him, he's just like, "Hey man, knock it off." <laughs> yeah. It's like you're not good at this. He tells him to stick to being a hare. <laughs> <laughs> and and Basil is being such an affronted little bitch about it. He's such Be- a bitch. Because he's like, "Oh, I can't believe he'd use such grandiose language and be so pompous and be such a voracious eater. We can't have him back. It's like, <laughs> Basil, he's you, but better. Yes. <laughs> Some more... chaps wouldn't know a rhyme if you chopped it up and served it with custard in a bowl. Stick to being a hare, huh? <laughs> he has fired off more rhymes in two pages than you ever have, Basil. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think this guy was dressed like, this poet? Oh, I thought he was just a straight-up, like, owl. I... I suppose he could be wearing clothes. I mean, it is. Right I think now. he has a ludicrously covered scarf and like one of those yes. pointy hats with a feather out of it. One of them Robin Hood hats. Yes. Ooh, see, if I'm picturing a hat for him, I'm picturing one of those just like poofy hats, like the like a troubadour. Yeah, like with a big ostrich feather out the back. Ooh, maybe. <laughs> Let's see. Why, pray, do you suppose I'm a master of poetry and prose? No equal of high in field or wood, no creature a smidgen, a fraction as good. And if you need a poet, why, here's one to choose, this owl, Sir Harry the Muse. Oh my, oh my god. Oh. What? I'm looking at him in the show. Yes. They right, needed some more practice. They, they needed some more practice before actually putting him in. Oh god, this guy sucks. Oh. Anyway, the Guasim then make this. Why fucker... is his beak so goddamn small? <laughs> He's an owl. Why? Yeah. Fucking more... Orson Welles looking ass owl. Yep. There's a like kindergartner's drawing of it right next in the Google search that looks better than that. Ah, the fridge. Um. So then the Guasim bake him like eighteen goddamn cakes as payments <laughs> mm-hmm. to get them up the cliff. <laughs> yep. And and you know he uh. He switched it up. Uh, he was doing a couple different uh, meters, mm-hmm. different poetry styles throughout it. And he, uh, once he sends them up there to the pine forest, he leaves them with a limerick. Those that venture upward are only the brave and insane. Though I hate to predict from the path that you've picked, I doubt that we'll meet again. <laughs> 
gives him a jaunty little limerick to say, okay, go die, have fun. <laughs> yep. Oh man, Sir Harry, he's a good, he's a good bird. <laughs> and then we end up back at Redwall, uh, where the yeah. moles, the moles are doing their usual business of getting shit done, and uh, they're setting up a trap on the stairs. Oh wait, did we talk about how the the crows and ravens tried to steal baby Rollo and Sister May kicked their ass. We did not talk about that. Oh, yeah, the crows a... the, the crows just show up and yank Rollo off screen. And my first thought was like, oh, damn, is baby Rollo just like straight up going to die now? Is baby Rollo going to die the oh, way no Sam way. Squirrel probably should have died multiple times last book? <laughs> Meanwhile, this book, he is... He is the secondary protagonist of this book. It's For not real. Matt DeMeo, It's Sam Squirrel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to imagine what this would look like. It just being a this little mouse kid in like a little nightgown. There was a little illustration of him running around at the start of the chapter. But mm-hmm. then like a huge like gnarled beak three times the size of it just pe- peeks around the corner of the spiral staircase and snatches him. And he's like giggling and then immediately like, ah, fuck. That would have been a it would have been a scary thing to see just being pulled into the darkness by a massive black beak. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but but yeah, Sister May comes in and just bites uh, Iron Beak's ankle, and Down to the he bone, lets him they go. Said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got his ass. Yeah, she like fucking action movie slid <laughs> in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Cornflower... I want to see her be the next warrior. Yes, like Cornflower and and Mrs. Churchmouse are just sort of frozen in shock and sister may no she has no time to think just just chomp mm-hmm. the spirit of martin came into her and mm-hmm. propelled her forward yes it did so all of i all of iron beaks guys are like up the stairs behind this locked door up in the attic uh so the Redwall people do exactly what you would expect and start putting out uh like hot wheels cars and oil up the floors and string some paint <laughs> cans up and yeah they... broken christmas decorations for them to step on <laughs> They cover, they cover the stairs with this like slippery grease and then put a layer of stone dust down on it so it doesn't look any different and then rig up catapults full of just like pebbles and raw garlic and some like maybe pitch or something mm-hmm. and so like rotten vegetables or whatever yeah. yeah and and the crows the crows have a Home Alone style slip, 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 all up and down the stairs, um, and then get smacked in the face with a bunch of stinky shit that sticks to their feathers. <laughs> and, and then they're described as completely defeated. The birds slithered messily up the stairwell, and I'm sorry, but uh, they are not completely defeated. No. Constance Badger, open the door. Get all of your mice that have fucking spears in there that al- you already know have spears. Get them out there. Kill them while they cannot stand. I know it's not honorable. But it would work. But, nice, but, but it would work. And mm-hmm. it's defending your home. And she makes it clear later that she has no qualms about killing beasts that threaten her her home and her friends. So... Yeah, no, she... They capture a couple of magpies later and she threatens to throw them in the lake and drown them. And Mordelphus just says, like, oh, I'm so glad they didn't call your bluff. What bluff? Yeah. 
And Mark Office make- was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Redwall. I got to say this <laughs> obligatory thing. I got to tell them, hey, you guys, uh, Redwall's a nice place with nice people. If you want to live here or like, you know, want some food, like you're welcome as long as you don't go sn- snatching kids or nothing and they don't see behind the door is just a pile of bird corpses of children and elderly. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, and- but it's just, it annoys me that he used the word defeated. Mm-hmm. When they were not if he, at all. If he had called it demoralized, I'd have been fine. Mm-hmm. Because they were demoralized. Yeah, but not defeated. Yeah. <laughs> they got caught in a zany trap. <laughs> yep. Which is heavy demoralization, yeah, because you can tell that Iron Beak is like one of those guys that like rules partially by looking cool and strong and capable. And now we just put a bunch of slime and you know old diapers onto them and shit, so... <laughs> And and Ironbeak even comments on it later. He outright says, maybe if you had killed my fighters and me on the stairs yesterday, instead of playing your silly little games, you would have been the victors. It's too late now. We meet on my terms. Because, of course, in the intervening day, he's kidnapped Cornflower, Mrs. Churchmouse, and Rollo. Mm-hmm. And also, gained significant ground in the Abbey. He's invading from the top down. Yep. They got the dormitories. They have the, they have the infirmary. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't have the infirmary yet. They get the infirmary oh, later. Oh, right. That's right. Because we need the infirmary for what's about to happen. <laughs> yes, we do. Oh, man, I forgot. Yep. <laughs> because they decide to go fishing for some birds. Yep. They decide to go bird fishing. Which, um, for me reading it last night, the only thing I could think of was there's a, there's a protracted Mabimbam bit about bird fishing. And how, like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, you can't just... You can't have plausible deniability with bird fishing. The minute you release it, it's either dead and falls to the ground or it flies away. And even then, it probably won't fly away. It will turn around and peck the shit out of you. Yep. Because it can do that. It doesn't need yep. to stay where you put it. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, the ducks of the park are free. <laughs> I, to- <laughs> I told my students that one, and one boy said to me, uh, yeah, I treat them as a take one, leave one basis. <laughs> that's a fucking clever kid yep <laughs> and he has ducks that he kid to, like go take some you recommend that kid to go take some improv classes he's got it yep mm-hmm. for sure <laughs> but yes they they go bird fishing yeah <clears throat> they go bird fishing with some drug-laced strawberries and sister may is so fucking excited she's like oh 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 i could poison them i could poison them i could poison <laughs> oh, my the berries. potions and hallucinogens over here <laughs> like, i've always wanted to try them like you've you've what now yeah what yeah, do you think Delphus i'm growing on? oh i i would have never thought of using poisons you you're <laughs> truly full of surprises sister may she's like yeah i'm getting shit done <laughs> yeah. what did you think i was growing all this poppy for <laughs> <laughs> oh man Sister May starting her own her own country of opium over here. <laughs> but yes. No, in... let's be real. They wouldn't they wouldn't be growing opium. No. Redwall Redwall's vice is Salvia. <laughs> oh good lord. <laughs> Agreed. But yes, this this nursemaid who secretly wants to be a poisoner and warrior. Uh they yep, they drug they drug the magpies who are their foraging team and gather them up in nets the magpies are their only foragers purely because to iron beak everyone else is a warrior and that's beneath them <laughs> i'd be kind of insulted if i was a magpie yeah but it's fine because the magpies aren't there so uh, <laughs> i 
I do think that's funny, though, that, like, that idea of, well, I mean, yeah, that job is beneath being a warrior. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're an occupying army. They're, they need to do this shit. Also, they're an army, and they have three of them doing all of the foraging. It's not a well-made plan, but it is their plan. It is their plan, and, you know, it seems to work out for them, except in this specific instance, because they never expected someone to go bird fishing. <laughs> No one expects. Oh yeah, the and this bird. whole this whole plan of capturing the magpies hinges on the fact that they're like, oh yeah, they're they'll be starved and they'll have to want to give up the hostages. Otherwise, you know, they won't have food. So like, okay, or they could compromise their pride and just gather food themselves. Mm -hmm. Counterpoint: They could eat the hostages. <laughs> they are birds. The hostages are mice. Well, and a fault. Yeah, they're not above killing defenseless creatures. And crows are scavengers. Yeah. Even though, realistically, the birds don't eat mice. The birds never eat mice. Some of them talk about it. Like, mm -hmm. Warbeak's uncle talked about it. Mm -hmm. But, never but they never really do. No. Because mice are sentient creatures, and we, we, couldn't eat, we couldn't do that. We can eat fish, and we can eat bugs, but we're not gonna, we're not gonna eat mice. This is Meanwhile, this is a line fucking... that like this is a line that's like not on any of the characters to cross, but on Jake's to cross is what I'm reading. It's just like you don't want any mm -hmm. we don't want actual predation, at least on our main characters like this. Maybe Sir only Harry's if he's a going demon snake. Yeah. Sir Harry's going around with Matthias's crew and just like hawks up a bolus and they see a mouse skeleton in it. Well, this is awkward. <laughs> Yes. Heavens. Crivens. <laughs> Crivens. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, God. But, yeah, so Matthias's crew is now following over the river, and they build a they build a raft, because apparently Logalog is a is an aquatic vole. Hmm. He's a boat vole. Yep. Oh, yeah, shrew. He's true. a boat shrew. Yep, yep. yep. And... You know, they, they spend about, a while, like, they cut down some of the trees that they're right beside, and they build a little raft. Mm -hmm. And then a hail of arrows comes from the opposite shore, where uh, Stoneflex crew is. And is just laying out the voles all over this, oh, the Guazim, the shrews, all over this fucking raft. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, then they decide to hop overboard, except for Cheek. And he's an otter who's fish. afraid of water. Yeah, he's an otter who's afraid of water, but apparently has also never been in water. Yep. He, he's just afraid of water from, like, from, from afar. It's not from any lived experience. It is just, I don't like that. I can't stand there. Yep. It's like, um, he doesn't like the idea of swimming. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, there are a bunch of fish coming around and taking little bites out of everybody, which, I'm going to be honest, was disappointing. Mm -hmm. uh, when, the, when the poem talked about, uh, you know, death lurks in the water, they've been talking so much shit about pikes this whole yeah. book. I thought it was going to be a pike. Mm -hmm. Kind of like these little like nibbling minnows or something. Mm -hmm. Little minnows. That's it. And yeah. there are pikes in later books. This is the kind of place I would expect pikes to be, but they are not. Right. It, it's in the fucking, it's a river in the Deathlands. But nope, not here. 
Well, and, they don't uh, even seem that threatening. They're just, it seems more like an annoyance. Well, it's not piranhas. Like, we can swim here and we're just getting, like, nipped at and startled. But, like, mm-hmm. they're, they're not talking about, like, any chunks getting taken out of anybody. And then yeah. uh, Creek the Otter, like, I don't know, they... <laughs> Oh, Orlando just smacks him with the axe handle, knocks yeah. him into the water, and Orlando's yeah. like, oh, oh, wait, there's there's food in here. Ooh, all these fish. Yeah. yeah, Cheek just swims around eating all of the fish, and then it scares them off, and it's like, all right, it's a good thing we recruited Cheek. <laughs> That's why he's here. <laughs> That's why he's here. <laughs> I mean, he's also here so that whenever Basil Staghair inevitably dies. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically, I thought this was going to be another point where Basil died. Because he and Cheek were both, like, huddled together in the middle of the boat. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to get hit with arrows, like, protecting Cheek or some shit. Yeah. But I should have known better. Basil doesn't protect anybody but himself. Yep. It sounds like you're looking forward to the end of Basil's stag hair. (laughs) It's not that I'm looking forward to it. It's just that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm just, like, keyed up expecting it. Like, I know that it's going to happen. I am so goddamn certain that it's going to happen that I'm just looking for opportunities for it everywhere. (laughs) That's fair. I'm like, okay, this would be a satisfying place for that. Okay, it didn't happen. This would be a satisfying place for that. It didn't happen. We're going to reach the end of this book, and he's still going to be alive, and I'm just going to be sitting here like, what the fuck? Is he just going (laughs) to die of old age? That's that's not how Basil wants to... No, you know what? That is how Basil wants to die. That's not how Basil wants to be remembered dying, but that is how he wants to die. That is probably. I mean, I don't remember what happens to Basil. It's just like I didn't remember when Warbeak showed up, but we'll get there. Yeah, I mean, realistically, we're there now. Um, oh yeah, we are. Because they... yeah, they they get the they get the boat to the shore and they head into the forest and Stoneflex crew is hot on their trails with bows ready to go. And they do a little bit of fighting and then fall back and do a little bit of fighting and fall back. And then Warbeak's whole party shows up and the tide is turned. And then Warbeak is dead. It doesn't Warbeak even happen dies on screen. No, it doesn't. It, it's extremely unsatisfying, especially for a character we spent so long developing towards the end of last book and spent basically no time with this book. Mm-hmm. Like realistically this death is more impactful to me than hugo's death yeah actually it is but it just happens all like matthias discovers that she's dead she doesn't even get to say anything to him he's looking for her and sees her warriors like clustered around her corpse and then like jess takes her body up into a tree branch which jess is carrying warbeak that seems surprising but i mean jess is the fucking god of climbing so I guess it makes sense. Yes. But yeah, it's just it's just weird. It's just weird that Warbeak got taken out off screen mm-hmm. so quickly. Yeah. But the the sparrows pass on of... the message. Mm-hmm. Hmm? If it were a different sort of book, I would totally suspect that like this is some sort of uh psyop. No, this is like they faked her death so that uh Ironbeak won't suspect that like she'll come kill him or something. Like they knew Ironbeak would move in. They've been scouting him. They're like playing five D chess, mm-hmm. and they knew Ironbeak was going to make a move on their uh, Addy territory once they were out, and they couldn't do anything to avoid that. But like now he'll suspect that she can't come kill him, and she will or something. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see that, but I don't think it's gonna happen. 
No, of course not. Because no. they, they specifically talk about her eyes being dimmed in death and the breeze moving her feathers gently. Like, mm-hmm. she's she's, she's very definitively dead. Um, which, I don't know, yeah, I just, I just don't like. I just don't like it. I, I don't like that that is how she died. Something I do like, though, is how Stonefleck died. Yes. Logalog fucking chucks his sword at him as he's trying to flee and it just oh, yeah. stabs him right through the goddamn head. Mm-hmm. Like, way to go, Logalog. Mm-hmm. Proving uh, why Scan did not want to fight him. <laughs> yes. And from what I remember, like, there is never in these books a Logalog who is not an extremely perilous fighter who's ready to throw down any time. So, <laughs> he's keeping as that true tradition. As you would want from your union leader. <laughs> yes. Yeah, a guy who can throw a sword through another guy's head. <laughs> Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Ugh. I gotta be honest, I didn't read this far in the book, unfortunately. <laughs> so you spoiled me on Warbeak. But oh, sorry. Yeah, whack. No, I mean, we, I knew it was gonna happen. We had to. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but they... So, there, there's honestly not a lot left in this Yeah, in this there's not. We're, um, we're in the last 30 pages or so yeah. of this so, section. This is the end of Matthias's story, pretty much. They they make it to the desert that's just mm-hmm. beyond the forest that they're in. And that's kind of where things end for them. They are Harry oh, the but Muse they do fight some buzzards. Back. Yes, some buzzards are circling overhead, and then Harry the Muse shows up to fight them. And yeah, he's like, yeah, I had a crisis of conscience. Uh, y'all need more help than I, than I gave you. <laughs> and then in they call him out. In exchange for my continued help, I would like to live at Redwall. Yes. I like, sang a limerick about how you were going off to certain death, and then I thought that was kind of a shitty thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Unlike that goddamn newt from earlier. Oh, yeah. That little Forg- bastard. I almost forgot about Skrull. But yes, uh, Sir Harry is back. He's travel- He's part of the party. Meanwhile, this desert, Matameo and friends, are a good bit further along. Mm-hmm. They have reached this bottomless chasm uh, with a rope bridge across it. Ooh, I love a good rope bridge set oh, piece. Yeah. And, and Slagar does... He does the fucking bullshit thing of like, oh, yeah, we don't need to cross, huh? Huh? Well, there's water over on the other side. Well, we have water. No, we don't. And tosses their water into the abyss. Great idea. Yeah, it's brilliant. Full fruit. There will be none left for the return journey, Mr. Frodo. Was this really <laughs> where we wanted to, like, sacrifice our own supplies to, like, motivate them to cross the bridge? You couldn't do it any other. It's fine. Slagar has no leadership or planning abilities. He just has fear mm-hmm. and being an asshole. <laughs> and, of course, he assumes that uh, when they get to Malkaris, he can just ask for more uh, like canteens and water supply things, mm-hmm. which he will then, of course, throw over the chasm again to get his crew to cross back. Yeah, I was going to say, how does how he expect to... Well, when they get across, he chops the bridge and sets it ablaze. That's very true. He he does chop down the bridge and set it ablaze so that Matthias, or, yeah, so that Matthias can't follow them, and now he has no way back. Yeah. I'm not sure what his plan was. And if there's a way around it, why he didn't just use that. But Yeah, so he... what about the big bad guy being like, uh, hey, Slagar, I sent you out there uh, with an uh, attachment of men to get a lot of slaves from the Mossflower Woods, and you came back with, like, a handful. And he's, and he's like, well, I had to really spend a lot of time going out of my way to get this one particular kid for a personal thing. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so you're going to go back to get more <laughs> slaves now as part of our arrangement? And he's like, well, I did burn the bridge. 
You mean metaphorically, you right? Get back, no, literally, <laughs> to get back over there. So that entire region is like unslavable at this point. It, because he has no plan, he's he's just reactionary. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so they're headed towards Malkaris, and I'm sure Harry the Muse coming back will be their solution for uh, crossing this chasm, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, I hope so. They also know about the the poem, and they're like, oh, wow, that poem knew exactly what we were going to be dealing with. I wish we had had that sooner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it does describe and, everything that they're going through. And then we pop back to Redwall Abbey. Yes. Because there's a hostage exchange that needs to take place. And for the most part, it's it's done fine, like... They exchange three for three. The three magpies go back to Iron Beak. The three, well, the two mice and one vole go back to the Red Wallers. Meanwhile, they know it's a trap. And General Iron Beak, of course, after the fact is like, ha ha ha, you see, I have tricked you. Well, <gasps> excuse me, Yannan. Uh, morning. While your soldiers were busy watching me during this, my soldiers were stealing all of the supplies in the orchard that you couldn't get to anyway. Mm-hmm. Now I have a supply of food, and you don't. Redwallers are just like, I mean, we do have a supply we, of food. We the only are... thing we're missing is fresh water. And then that's easily solved by the moles, who dig a network of tunnels. So, sure realistically, yeah. And the birds are preparing an attack, because they know that they can't lay siege forever. And that's kind of where we leave things in Redwall, too, is the birds are prepping an attack, and they've now also captured the infirmary. The red wallers have this network of tunnels, and realistically, they can just like red escape. Wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like worst case scenario, the red wallers can just escape. Truthfully, I thought it was a fucking stupid idea for them to dig a tunnel all the way to the pond. Like most of the way to the pond, sure, but it comes up from what I understood, like right next to the pond. It seems like it'd be very easy to flood the network of tunnels then, by like. Iron Beak and his crew just digging a little bit more and creating a way for the pond to drain into the tunnels. Yeah, that would have done it. And hey, I mean, we've already seen someone pour boiling water into tunnels in Redwall. I would not want to see that happen to the Redwallers, but uh, truthfully, I don't think Iron Beak's crew is smart enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but we... You know, we we really advanced all three plot lines in this book. Less so Matameo's, mm-hmm. but that's fine. fine. I know one thing I noticed: Matameo didn't do much in this section. He didn't get a whole he lot of really time didn't. at all. Yeah. And like I was way more invested he... in the the Ironbeak saga because it's pretty impressive to introduce a whole new antagonist with a whole bunch of extra characters and get this whole subplot rolling in. Like, a hundred pages in the middle of your book. So Yeah. It's it's an interesting choice. It but is. it works. It does. I thought initially, I was like, oh man, is, you know, that I thought he'd made this choice because, okay, most of the action is happening outside of Redwall. And, you know, readers who are coming to this, there are no other Redwall books at this point, are going to be like, oh, it's a Redwall book, but there's no Redwall. And so I'm thinking he did this mm-hmm. partially so that he could still keep, you know, the main setting involved somehow. And you know it works. Yeah. 
It does. It's a good way of keeping that thread continuing. And it sets up this, this like, kind of dread for the readers of even when, you know, Matthias has regained control and, like, not control up, but, like, regained custody of all of these children, the job's not done. Like, they've still got to go back and free the Shire. And I like that. It's... It's an extra source of tension, us knowing that the end of this book is not going to be the end of the thing. Where were we? We were talking about just introducing a brand new antagonist to it and then just filling it in to, like, uh, in to have, like, some more conflicts going on at Redwall. And, like, you do got to spend some time playing in the space of Redwall because it is, like, a building with a bunch of ins and outs. Literally, there's passages and tunnels and secrets. Uh, and it seems like we're kind of giving up on the puzzle to figure out where the uh where the abbess originally came yes. from what convent she was from is that right so it's not that they're giving up on the puzzle it's that now the puzzle is kind of in matthias's hands right because they've done all they can do from redwall just in time for another little siege to happen yeah and i know i keep pulling it back to lord of the rings in this in this book so far but it does kind of feel like there's going to be a return to the shire moment of like okay, well, now we need to free the Shire. You know, we get home after defeating the ultimate evil, but it's not all done. The work's not over yet. That is going to be such a pisser for Matthias and the adventuring party. It's be like, boy, we sure did finally defeat those slavers and narrowly escaped the polecat hell mines. Uh, now we can finally Very return home and I can reassure I my wife that uh, everything is all okay. <laughs> and Iron Beak's here. I think that honestly might be the moment where Matameo officially takes on the role of warrior of redwall yeah i think matthias yeah. might die with malcaris potentially and then matameo returns to redwall as the warrior and defends it from iron beak interesting mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah no you can't this works <laughs> but i don't know i mean that's realistically that's that's what i've got <laughs> and i don't know i'm enjoying my time with this book i feel like i mean we said this in pre-recording but jake's definitely has a better head at, uh head on his shoulders for and figuring exactly out where to put act breaks in his book yeah because in redwall it was totally nonsensical where the breaks were like they always came like a chapter <laughs> too early or too late but yeah, and I think a lot of it is because he jumps point of view during chapters, so he doesn't have to worry about advancing things too much or too little in one direction. Word. I think that's all we got then. We'll pick up the last of Matameo and see if our predictions about who dies, who becomes a true warrior in yeah. the next episode of On Air Book Fair previously on Dragon Ball. Um, thank you everybody for listening to the On Air Book Fair once again. We got some plugs. Uh, Miles and I have another podcast shooting the sheets, which we're slowly, slowly working on a little bit more. Um, yeah, our most recent episode little... has a lot of uh, has higher production value, I'll say, than our last than our last few. We're playing uh, solo uh, RPGs that sort of have a big journaling storytelling element to it, so we're going to be uploading some audio from that. That'll be fun. And uh, uh, my other projects and all sorts of things you can find on mimicsmarket.com and popcorn. Uh, yeah, um, on Sundays I stream on Twitch over on uh, twitch.tv slash I'm going through the Golden Sun series. I've been playing The Lost Age for the last couple of weeks. 
it's fun. I'm now into the ocean exploration stage, which is a large chunk of the game and also great opportunity for me to get lost on on stream and just show my entire ass. Uh, Miles, show in the theory. But yeah, that's most of what I've got. Uh, I am here to plug the Archive of the Odd, the zine that I'm published in the first two issues of. Jury's still out on whether I'm published in the third, but it is currently, they've just closed for submissions, uh, for their unthemed issue, where they've taken in any amount of weird found fiction uh, format stories. So I will let you know when I know more, um, but I highly encourage people to check out Archive of the Odd. It is a small zine and it needs more love. Yeah, awesome. Uh, cool. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> think right, we landed on a sign-off last time, which was, keep reading. Yes, we did. Keep reading. Please do. Go to your local library! <laughs> right, Having fun isn't hard when you have a library card. Let's go back. <laughs>